0: Good evening. It is good to be together this evening. If you are a guest, we are thankful that you're here. If you want to be opening your Bible, we'll begin in just a few moments in Isaiah, and we'll read just a few verses out of Isaiah 46. We'll be looking primarily at four passages tonight, and as we uh, begin, we... We want to give honor to whom honor is due and be thankful for the many blessings that God gives us. And one of the great blessings that we have is this summer... Several of our young people that grew up here are doing internships in congregations uh, around us. And we're thankful for Brian Buckner, who is working with the Culvert City congregation with their uh, youth. And Ben McGreevy and Amelia Smith will be working with the Great Oaks congregation just outside of Memphis and Bartlett. Rebecca Batchelor will also be working just outside of Memphis with the Oliver Creek congregation with their girls. Braxton Thomas we will be working with the Madison Church of Christ uh, just there in, in Huntsville. And uh, Emily Shannon will be at the Jefferson Avenue congregation in Cookville. And we're thankful uh, for each of these young people and be praying for them and pray that they grow and pray that they help others that they're working with this summer grow. Thinking about our college age, Uh, Right after services tonight, and we'll keep it all uh, within a time frame here that's appropriate, uh, but we will uh, recognize seven of our college graduates just right after the the closing prayer tonight. And and we do offer a big congratulations to you. What an accomplishment to to graduate from college. And we wish you uh, Godspeed in this next transition of your life. Uh, do keep in mind to block out for the 125th anniversary homecoming, August 13th and 14th. And we mentioned several events that will be happening. Those will go out on the e-messenger tomorrow. And, uh, and any of that that you have questions about that we can help you with information, uh, please just ask and let us know. But if you want to go uh, to a Facebook group that will be... Uh, A lot of information will go out on this as well as Instagram and Twitter. Here are the ways that you can do that. And again, we'll let those go out tomorrow if you don't have time to copy those down or whatever it may be at this time. Also, we mentioned the marriage retreat this morning, June 24th and 25th. But a very important part that I didn't mention, that's a Friday evening, Saturday morning. Uh, But we are asking you to sign up. And one reason that's important is a lot of you would have kids that you want to be kept during that time, and we need to know how many kids there are going to be. But please sign up for that. Uh, Lonnie Jones will be presenting that, and it will be a tremendous thing. Also, uh, it has been mentioned to me that more than just the high school graduate, ga- graduates would like a copy of the things that some of our young adults said recently giving our high school graduates advice. And so I have made copies of that and they are at information center. And so if you would like a copy of that, feel free to pick it up and we appreciate each one that, that uh, took the time uh, to create those various answers to various questions. Elaine Cohen decided to do a very interesting study. She would give $20 to anyone that would flip a coin, and every time the coin came up heads, they got $20. And to make it interesting, no one would know if the coin was on heads or tails except the person flipping the coin. You see, what she was actually studying was a study of integrity. Now, you might say, but how could she study integrity if nobody knows what the coin was landing on, if it was heads or tails? Well, you mathematicians know. It's probability. You take 200 people flipping a quarter 10 times each, 50% of the time, it's going to be heads. And so she could study a group of individuals based upon how many times they said, and then figure out from that, how honest they were. Now, this was published by Fortune Magazine, so it makes sense that it would lend itself to the area of business. And so this particular article revealed what the bankers did. Nothing personal, bankers. Bankers, as a rule of thumb, were pretty honest. When they flipped the coin, it came back with just a smidget of cheating taking place until you begin to ask them things about their career and about their business. And then as the article said, they began to cheat like bandits. And the number of times that they would lie about the coin landing on heads spiked tremendously. What about you? Would you participate in that and be honest? You realize that without a spiritual conviction, most people would not continue that exercise and be honest. You realize because honesty is so hard to come by, it does make it a little bit harder for people to understand the importance of covenants. When people won't even be honest with themselves to keep a new year's resolution, and they very quickly will casually lie about almost anything. And then if it comes to something significant, they for the most part will definitely lie about it. How could you expect someone with that mentality to understand the importance and the beauty of a covenant. Listen, one of the pleas that I'm going to emphasize to you in tonight's lesson sounds so simple, but it's so important. God keeps his covenants. Every time, exactly like he said he would, and for people that aren't accustomed to people keeping their word and for people that aren't accustomed to their, their word being what they're bound to, it's hard for them to appreciate the beauty of when God gives a covenant, it's powerful. Now, I also don't want you to think, well, all a covenant is, it's just a statement and God decides to keep it. Well, it it is that to some degree, but it's so much more. And I'd like for you to look for just a few minutes tonight. And let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give a brief description of this. We're going to go back and give a brief description of what Noah experienced with God making covenant with him. And then we're going to drop back and look at, at a very interesting covenant that that the children of Israel violated with the Gibeonites. And, and all of this hopefully will cause us to walk away saying, I understand covenants a little bit better and I appreciate the covenants that God makes with us even more so. Number one, covenants bound people together. In other words, the reason that is so important to understand is a covenant is more than just a promise. A covenant is like a treaty. The idea of it is, in most cases, now there could be exceptions to this, covenants used like 274 times in the Old Testament alone. And so there are so many different types of covenants. Covenants between friends, covenants between nations, covenants between God and and man. And so so we we can't put this in just a real clean box. But what I want you to understand, as a rule of thumb, a covenant is the idea that it's not just making a promise to somebody, but but it's a commitment to somebody that brings them closer together and and that's why the compact another word for covenant is sometimes honored in Scripture by individuals taking one animal as a sacrifice and cutting it in two and and laying a part of it here and a part of it here and the individuals that are making the covenant would walk between it in other words you're being bound together and it's a serious thing there is a sacrifice at stake here and That's one reason why God did not want Israel to make covenants with nations of the idolatrous people. He did not want them drawing closer together a second thing that we see that there is fellowship involved in that and that's kind of what we were talking about just there also and because of that there would be feasts together sometime there would be gifts that would be exchanged Sometimes the gifts would be very personal like the giving of a hand or I know this seems strange to us today but the giving of a sandal in that day and time was a very important sign to say that this covenant I make with you is important and this covenant that I make to you is personal and this covenant I make to you is serious and I'll keep it and then also we see the seriousness, even by death. When we see the offering of animals, their lives were taken. There was a sacrifice that was made. We also see the endurance of covenants. The idea that a covenant was not ever to be lightly made and it was not to be violated. And sometimes we see it like a, a signing of it. We see a monument of it. And then also we see the very idea that covenants were made. And then in that they were witnessed. And so oftentimes, God would serve as the witness to the covenant. But one of the things that, that we, we mentioned a little bit this morning, I'll mention it again now, and, and then if you're like me, you're going to have to take this and kind of chew on it a little bit. And I look forward to thinking about this as I study more about covenants uh, these next few weeks. We are accustomed to today being shaped by our past. A great part of who you are today is because of your past. But have you ever stopped to think about that when God makes covenants, God makes covenants based on the future. And keep in mind, God always keeps his covenants. And so God fast forwards and says, I know where I'm leading you. I know where I'm taking you. And so this covenant that I'm about to make to you, I have you on a journey somewhere in your future and I know where it is. And so when we're in a covenant relationship with God, it is very true that a portion of who we are today is based upon our future. Because of the covenant that we're in with God. Now, well, we're getting there, but let me just say this very quickly. Go up to Noah on the days that he's working on an ark. That's his present. Hey, Noah, what are you doing today? VBS song, (laughs) working on an ark, right? Okay, and uh, I'm, I'm building an ark. Okay, so why are you building an ark? You know, don't get real technical with this. In a sense, it's not his past why he's building an ark. I know somebody could say it is because he loved God. But you see what I'm saying? It's his future is the reason he's building an ark. It's the covenant that God came to him and said, Listen, because of the wickedness of man, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. But I'm making a covenant with you. You can build an ark, you and your family can be preserved. And so you walk up to him and what is amazing is, hey, why are you building this ark? Something about my future. I made a covenant with God and he told me some things about my future and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. I want you to take this week and think about how much do you and I do and how much are we when we think about our identity? That it's not just based upon our past, but it's very much based upon the covenants that we have made with God and the covenant that we keep that God has made with us. And that's significant. I want us to read a passage in Isaiah and the setting for this teaches a lot more, but tonight for this particular time, I thought to use this more of an introduction than the lesson And so I'm just gonna jump right in to Isaiah 46. And if you have your Bible open, I'm gonna refer to a few verses that are not on the screen, but I love in verse five where God says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. And what he's doing here is he's saying, wait a minute, you're gonna compare me to an idol. I'm the almighty God that, that knows the future. And you're gonna compare me to an ignorant, dumb, lifeless idol? And notice how he says it here. He says in verse six, talking about idols. They lavish gold, or the ones that make idols. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales and hire a goldsmith. And he makes it a god, little g. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it, that god, on their shoulder. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands from its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Oh, you're gonna compare me to your idols. I remember when your idol was just in a bag and you hired someone to make your idol. Oh, and I remember that time you wanted your God to go somewhere else. You had to put it on your own shoulders and you had to carry it and set it down. And you know what? It hasn't moved from where you've set it. And I I hear you. I hear you crying out to your God. And you know what? You've never once heard your God answer you. You're gonna really compare me to that? And now let's read starting here at verse nine. Remember the former things of old for I am God is no other i am god and there is none like me now get this phrase right here declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and i will do all my pleasure calling a bird out of the prey from the east the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. And that's prophecy about Cyrus coming over from the east. He says, indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. Now all this is in the future, but he says, you can count on it. I've spoken it, I'll bring it to pass. I purposed it, I will also do it. Go back up to that last phrase in verse nine. I'm God and there's none like me. And then in the beginning of 10, declaring the end from the beginning. He can stand at the beginning and say, let me tell you what the end is going to be. And you're going to compare me to that dumb idol that doesn't know anything, is not even alive. Many of us can stand at the end and we can remember what the beginning was, but I found out the older I get, the harder that is to do. But there's not anybody here They can stand at the beginning and tell what the end is unless God has already revealed it. And that's the power of covenants. When God makes and gives a covenant as a rule of thumb, it has something revealing about the future. And that, that is true. I was about to use expression of speech, but I didn't want you to think I was being derogatory. I was about to say you could take that to the bank, but, all right, look with me if you will. And let's go back and think about Noah that we studied about a little bit this morning. And you remember we talked about the fact that man's wickedness was revealed, God's judgment was revealed, and in that we also see God's grace. But then we saw God's covenant that he made with him. Hey, I'm gonna send this flood and I want you to build an ark. And he told him exactly how to build it and he did it. And that portion of the covenant was fulfilled. But then he's gonna make either whatever you wanna call it. Some call it another covenant. That's what I would choose to call it. But some would say, oh no, he only made one covenant and this is another part of it. And there's no reason to to split hairs on that. And, And so we see another covenant that he makes. And if you will flip over to the ninth chapter. And in the ninth chapter, Toward the end of the 8th chapter, in verse 20, the flood is over. They're getting off the boat. And when they do, look at 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took the clean animals and he offered. You see, now we're getting the signs of a setting that is very appropriate for a covenant. Sacrifices are being made. Animals are being slain. And and so now this offering is being made. And and ultimately, because we don't have time to highly develop all this so let me just throw out to you so ultimately what God is going to do is he's going to say listen I'm not going to destroy you anymore with water it's not going to happen ever again with water and also I'm going to put fear in animals and that ought to help you to be protected from animals but also I'm going to institute the death punishment for anyone that takes a life their blood should be shed And that ought to help protect you from the life of violent people because if a violent person kills one person, if you keep the law I'm giving you, it ought to stop there because that person should die. The evil will be removed from you. And so here's how the the language goes. Look, if you will, in the ninth chapter, you see in verse nine, he says, I'm going to establish this covenant and it's going to be with you and with your descendants after you, that would be you and I. So this covenant was actually made with you and I also. Verse 11, this is how it reads, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all the flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now that's powerful. That's a promise that God made. Now, what is a little bit unusual, not completely or rare, but just a little bit unusual is this covenant is made unconditionally. You see the former covenant that he made with Noah, if you wanna be saved, Noah, You have to build the ark. I'll do my part. I'm sending the flood and I'm giving you a way to be saved. I'm being gracious. I'm offering you the way. But Noah has to do his part. Does he love God? Does he submit to God? Will he build the ark? But this covenant right here has no conditions upon it. He didn't say, I won't destroy the earth with a flood again if you don't become very wicked people. No, people have been very wicked since then. You see, it's no condition placed upon this. God says, I'm making a covenant with you. And this is how I will honor this covenant. As a matter of fact, when we read down in verse 12, notice he begins to speak of the sign that we've sung about and we've talked about today. Look in verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. In other words, this sign is going to show not just you, but all the generations to come. In verse 13, he says, I set my rainbow. I love the way he calls it my rainbow. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Look at verse 14. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow Shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I make the covenant with you, it's unconditional. I'm going to put a reminder it's my rainbow. And this sign and this covenant is going to outlive you, perpetual generations. Next time you look into the sky and you see a rainbow, you remember, that's God's rainbow. God put that rainbow in the sky. He says, that's my rainbow. And that's God honoring the covenant that he made with you. That he would not destroy this earth again with water. Now he didn't make the promise that he would not destroy it again. Peter reveals to us it won't be with water, but it will be with fire next time. But it will not based upon God's covenant. You know that? Oh, you know that for sure. God keeps his covenant. Now If you want just a glance there, also notice there at the end of 8 and 22, a part of this covenant was that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest time, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. I just remind you, God keeps his covenant. We're not gonna see a time on the earth where there is a global warming that does away with the seasons. I know that. God keeps his covenant. He promises, he, God keeps his covenant. And so you can believe people, or you can believe God, but God keeps his covenants. Does God expect us to keep our covenants? For just the next couple of minutes, and we'll, we'll make this quick, look with me if you will. In 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, we jump just right into a story and it just, it it takes no time for Samuel to record this story. He jumps right into it and and says it just right out of the, the, the gate, if you will, here in the 21st chapter. Notice how in verse one, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered. Now, A lot of people with wisdom ask, if you had a famine for three years and you thought that God might have something to do with it, why would you wait three years to ask God, why are we having this famine? Nobody knows the answer to that. But it sure doesn't make David look very wise at this point. But God answers him when he finally does ask. And he says, here's why the famine. He says, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and he spoke to them and now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel but the remnant of the Amorites and the children of Israel had sworn protection to them but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah now picking back up in verse 3 what is David going to do David said to the Gibeonites what shall I do for you and what they said to him in verse 4 is we don't want your silver we don't want your gold from Saul or from his house, nor we don't want you killing the men of Israel for us. In other words, what they want in verse six is let seven men of Saul's descendants be delivered to us and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose and the king said, I will give them. And as you read the rest of this chapter, you see that five sons came from one mother that were descendants of Saul and Rizbah was another mother and two of the sons came from her. They delivered these seven descendants of Saul over to the king. The king hung them. And Rizba. goes out because no one took the bodies down as they were hung. And in this chapter, we read down in verse 10 and going into 11, that she slept on a rock. And when we try to calculate how long this happened, it could have happened as much as six months. This mother is going out with two of her sons and five other descendants of Saul. And the scriptures tells us that she fought off the birds, the vultures. And by night, she fought off the beast. Now it'd be natural for women to run from beasts that were after human flesh. But not this woman. That was her son's. Can you imagine, women, how weary you would be, the heartache? Can you you hear her screams in your mind and in your memory and in your, your, your imagination as you hear her screaming at those vultures? Can you imagine how weary it is to get up in the middle of the night and to be just one woman trying to fight off beasts? To protect the bodies of your son. David finally heard about this. And he went and he got the, the bones of Saul and of Jonathan and of these seven individuals. And he brought them all back and he gave them a proper burial. Why was that happening in the first place? Because Israel had violated a covenant that they had made with the Gibeonites. Why was that famine taking place in the first place? Because Israel had violated a covenant that had been made with the Gibeonites. I want to remind you, David and those people could have cried out and said, we weren't the ones that made the covenant. It doesn't matter, it was your nation that made it. David and those people could have cried out and said, Saul's not even alive. And you're gonna allow us to go through this? It doesn't matter, it was your nation that violated the covenant. What I'm wanting us to see from this is how important it is in the sight of God that we honor the covenants that we make. We may live in a society that says, hey, If I'm back out of that contract, I'm not worried about it. i tell you one who is worried about it. You may say, oh, it's it's no big deal. I, I know I committed to it, but it doesn't matter. I can tell you one who is concerned whether or not you committed to it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with divorce. The very fact that it's a covenant that there's something wrong with it when it's not honored. God, how do you look at covenants? The next time you think that covenants are no big deal, you just hear the cries of Rispa trying to fight off the vultures off of her sons and remember that it was God who sent that famine for three years. And then you want this to have even a little bit more of a wow factor? Back up, if you will, to Joshua the seventh chapter. I'm sorry, the ninth chapter. In Joshua the ninth chapter, You say, how did this covenant ever begin? This covenant began because the Gibeonites lied in order to make this covenant possible. Children of Israel were supposed to go in and destroy all the nations that were in their area of conquest. The Gibeonites knew about this. And so now if if you want to be deceptive, you got to say hats off to them. And they said, you know what? We've heard how powerful their God is. Our theme this year, Marvel, they marveled at him. We've heard what he's done to Jericho. We've heard what he's done to other cities. You know what we have to do? We have to convince these people that we don't live close to them. And so they put on old shoes. They put old sacks on their donkey. They put old wineskins that had been patched. They brought bread that was dried out and molded. And then they acted like that they had been on a long, long journey and they approached Joshua. Oh, we're worn out. But we've heard about how powerful you are and we want to make a covenant with you. We've heard how great your God is and all we want to do is we just want to be your servants. Who are you? Oh, we're from a land very far away, he said. You know what else the scripture says? Look here at verse 14. This was the first place where they messed up. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. How different would this whole situation been if before they went into a covenant with this person or this nation, they would have said, God, is this a covenant that you bless? God, is this a covenant that you want us to be a part of? Can you imagine how quickly God would have answered and said, absolutely not. Those individuals are lying to you. Have you noticed how if you want, you can keep God out of your life? How's life turn out when you do keep God out of it? How many business relationships are you in that if you were to ask God first, you know that God would not bless that? How many friendships are you in that you know that if you ask God, God would not bless it? How many relationships are you in? How many business relationships? How many commitments? You see where that goes. Now let's just look to verse 15. So Joshua, see he didn't ask God, so what did he do? He made peace with them. He believed their lies. And what did he do? He made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. But you know what? They'd already made covenant with them. And what does God expect? You honor the covenant. Now, are you ready for this? You're hanging on to your seat? God, what about if 500 years later this covenant is not honored? I'll send a famine for three years and I will get Israel's attention and you'll see men slaughtered. 500 years after the covenant was made. As we go into this study over the next few weeks of covenants, I hope that you and I are keenly aware of how profound and powerful covenants are in the mind of God and God's people that are submissive to him. I hope you also give some time thinking about how so oftentimes we think that it's our past that shapes 100% of our day. But if we're truly children of God, our past does impact today, no doubt about it. But if we truly are children of God, Our future that we have made as covenant people of God greatly impact today. And that's pretty awesome to think about. And so we truly want to be people that are living a life that's connected to where we've been, what we've experienced, but definitely where we're going. Where are you going? Is there anything we can do tonight to help you on your walk to heaven? Are you a child of God? Have you ever been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins? Why not become a Christian tonight if you haven't been? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've, you've lost sight of that journey and you need to come back. You know you want that to be your future. You know God wants that to be your future. If there's anything we can do tonight to pray with you and for you, to encourage you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.